Welcome to Doctors of Tomorrow 56 podcast, a medical podcast for anyone ranging from middle school students to attending physicians and for anyone interested in learning more about the medical field from all around the world. Welcome to this very exciting episode. Today we have a facial plastic surgeon with us and without further ado, we introduce Dr. Ho. Well, before I start, I just want to say thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to have this talk with me. I really appreciate it. No worries. Sorry for running a couple minutes late. No, it's fine. <laughs> we understand. So before I start, I just want to say that the first couple of questions that I'm going to ask are more or less to get to know you. And then okay. the second half are more into your field of expertise, basically. Okay, great. So is it okay if we start? Yes. Okay, awesome. So the first question is, at what age did you know you wanted to pursue medicine? Um, I think I knew early on in... Uh, childhood um maybe it was like elementary school um level um, and that was because of my own childhood surgeries i was born with um, a large nevus on my forehead think of like a, a large mole mm-hmm. um, that could have been potentially cancerous so um, i required a number of surgeries early on i think about 10 surgeries between birth and fourth grade where um, the mole, the lesion was removed, and then I needed uh, several reconstructive surgeries. Um, a number of them happened at um, CHOP Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. So, you know, with those experiences, um, I learned early on the you know, positive, immediate impact that my surgeon had on me, and I wanted to be in a similar role um, career-wise for other patients. Well, that's awesome. I always, like like you said, you learned how a, a physician has a direct role into a person's life. So basically, from what I have like un- heard from other doctors, it's not just a job. You do, in fact, directly impact someone. So that's always really awesome to hear. So the next question is, where did you go for undergrad and what was your major? So I um, attended College of William Mary. Since the beginning of high school, I was in Northern Virginia with my family, so I ended up going um, in-state on a scholarship. And so College of William Mary, it's a small um, public school, liberal arts school. And so my first major was neuroscience, um, just again, having that interest in a science major and knowing that it covered uh, the pre-med requirements well. I was lucky enough uh, with AP courses uh, AP credit to have some extra room in my schedule and was able to take on a second major of international relations. Um, I think that came on um, uh, one thing that one of the experiences of college that really stood out to me um, had a big impact was participating on a couple medical mission trips to Nicaragua and Costa Rica. Um, they were more primary care focused, but they, um, you know, helped give me a good perspective of to appreciate you know, what I have, where I come from as an American, a Vietnamese American, um, to be able to participate in a service capacity and and have like a um, and, and a service idealism too, um, when it comes to medicine and have a more worldly outlook. So, you know, stemming from that, um, I did a second major in international relations and combining the two um, to try to have a, um, a perspective on uh, global health. Yeah, completely. So where did you go for medical school? And if you can possibly give something that really, that you personally really enjoyed about it. Uh, I then went to University of Virginia for medical school. So also stayed um, in state 
and um, you know had a really good, well balanced experience there. I think what felt like a good fit for me there were the the students, the community, especially the first two years our pass fail there. I know that's probably more prevalent um, theme now with medical schools, but that takes the stress off. Um, in terms of trying to do well in medical school, because once you're there, you're in a very different caliber of um, high achieving individuals and um, and takes that stress off, takes also the that competitiveness off so that we're more, you know, a collegial collaborative um, community. And um, a lot of us, you know, are well balanced in terms of you know, trying to seek opportunities to, you know, outside of studying, um, there are a lot of former um, like collegiate athletes that were in my class, which was really cool. Um, I ended up um, being the class president for my class. So, and for myself too, I knew like I wasn't the best studier, the best test taker um, in med school. So I do appreciate that I had those extracurricular outlets, um, you know, to, and I also too, um, they had a global health scholarship um, uh, those kind of opportunities they had a global health center through the university so my summer um, of medical school just the summer after the first year um, I went back to Vietnam and I interned with Operation Smile Vietnam and I did um, a study interviewing patients and their parents you know studying the epidemiology of um, cleft lip and cleft palate among the patient population served by Operation Smile Vietnam. Um, and then I was able to um, be able to get another grant or scholarship and I did an abroad ENT rotation my fourth year in Singapore. Um, so especially when you, it's such a narrow-minded track for medical school and then your training later. Um, I And now in a pandemic where we can't travel, um, I have really come to appreciate those um, you know, life and professional experiences being abroad and also um, what I think hopefully is being fairly balanced in medical school. Yeah, completely. Sounds just from hearing you sounds very fascinating how you did so much. So what made you decide you wanted to become a facial plastic surgeon? Um, so as I mentioned earlier, um, I was interested in the reconstructive side of plastic surgery. And this is you know, uh, concerning body plastics or general plastics um, when I was younger. I actually didn't know much at all about ENT or otolaryngology until I reached uh, medical school. Um, basically, the time to really figure out what you want to do is when you do those clinical rotations. Um, the key thing is to really first decide if you want to do surgery versus non-surgery. I think there's a big distinction on, in those um, types of fields. Um, I found out that general surgery was my favorite core rotation overall, and I chose to do electives in um, ENT and plastic surgery. Um, I really enjoyed both of those, but I felt like at baseline from you know a broader training ENT was a better fit I liked being a head and neck specialist instead of you know learning to do surgery all of, um, all across the body the head and neck anatomy is very intricate detailed um, you know the, the type of surgery is meticulous you're looking at small blood vessels cranial nerves um, the there's a good balance of operating in clinic and potentially too, if your your patients, you know, are pretty healthy, you don't have to spend as much time in the hospital. So, as a from a physician perspective, you know, 
it is competitive in that, in that sense that because there's a, a decent work-life balance there. Um, I also felt like it really clicked with the ENT attendings and residents I work with in terms of personality. They're super smart, but laid back and balanced. Um, and also learning that there is a route to facial plastic surgery, um, ultimately, if I still wanted to do um, that. Um, and then in my resident training, I tried to be as open-minded as possible. I think I would have been fairly happy being a general ENT surgeon. But with facial plastics, um, what I realized that why it was a fit for me, um, and in general, like whatever, especially ended up doing, you know, it's not necessarily just that um, that area of knowledge or expertise, um, that that field of medicine, but also if certain personality personality characteristics of yours fit that niche of medicine as well. So you know, I think as a surgeon. Um, I like to be decisive, having me to impact on my patients. I'm also impatient as well. <laughs> you know, that's a more negative um, uh, characteristic to surgeons. Um, from the plastic side, I, you know, appreciate the more delicate surgeries. I don't mind suturing. I'm very meticulous, attention detailed. I think that goes well with um, plastic surgery. Yeah, completely. So I know you just went into some personality traits. So you basically kind of went into my next question, but could you maybe go into some more maybe skills or characteristics that someone might need in order to be a plastic facial surgeon? Facial plastic surgeon, yes. Yeah. So um, I think attention to the details, having, you know, is, is key, being meticulous. Um, of course, like one of my weaknesses that I struggled with in my training was actually having the big picture ideas. You still need that you know, at the end of the day, but it's all about, especially with the face and matter of millimeters that could make a big difference, especially when it comes to one of the most challenging surgeries like rhinoplasty. Um, you need to have that patience there, the, you know, the patience with suturing to get, you know, the closure right. I think, um, you know, not all surgeons will prioritize that, right? If, you're, if your goal is more to get out that big cancer, you know, do that heart surgery, just there are certain, um, in differences and priority um, there. Um, with uh, plastic surgery, you know, you're working more at the superficial level in general, wh whether you're doing reconstructive or um, cosmetic. So um, again, having that, um, I think, mathematical into intuition and artistic eye or wanting to have that is really important you know to look for me a look at a face and see whether it's from a um, non-surgical surgical standpoint what can be done to be improved you have to look at are there certain asymmetries to the face you know how can they be more masculine or feminine um, it takes a certain eye to understand that and even appreciate that you know in a way enjoy doing um, uh, that aspect of um, medicine yeah um, well mm -hmm. Wow, thank you for sharing that. Sound thank you. Well basically thank you for going to such detail. Thank you. No worries. I mean probably <laughs> the extent of detail answers goes along with being a facial plastic surgeon. So, yeah, it's awesome. Um, and then the other thing, one other point is uh you know, I think whatever you go into, you have to be able to be willing to handle the most um difficult uh, patients <laughs> in that specialty. Um so for me it's the high maintenance cosmetic patient. There are yeah. days where it is tough when that one patient can weigh on you or that patient that just seems a bit r ridiculous in their realistic expectations. Um, but I, even though I'm doing mostly the cosmetic side in my practice now, 
there is a sense of um, gratification that comes to helping, you know, someone look good and feel good, especially with fairly immediate results. So um, I like, I'm someone who is, yes, impatient, likes that sense of immediate gratification. I like to work with my hands. Um, those are some other things I think that goes well with being a surgeon and a plastic surgeon. Yeah, completely. So would you say that's the most rewarding aspect of it? helping basically help someone feel better about themselves yeah like look good feel mm -hmm. good like you can even tell like um to me like especially for my medical mission show experiences a shared smile goes a long way so you see someone walking back coming back and even if it's just a little botox and filler and you can say see they they're dressing a little bit more differently they may have a little more makeup um that uh they just you know they're they're just something different you know about them and in general too that's the ultimate compliment to me as a surgeon whether we pursue a surgical or non-surgical procedure together you know we want i always tell patients when they first meet you know, like my goal is to help me patients look good feel good but without anyone else knowing what we exactly did so for someone to say oh you look really refreshed you look great but they ask like did you get your hair done did you go on a vacation and they can't obviously tell um so it's like there's a, a change that's apparent enough to the eye but not so much that we we know that oh this is what definitely was done or, or done too much if that makes sense yeah completely that's <laughs> i keep on saying it but that's awesome really enjoy how you as a doctor help lift someone up basically so mm -hmm. yeah completely so would you say maybe there's some common misconceptions about your field of expertise that people might have in general um no that's a good question i think um maybe those who are interested in the field whether they think of it as you know much more glamorous than it is um, say, you know, you're following those surgeons in LA and such. Yes, there are surgeons, you know, who have made it or so gifted or have that presence that they have that lifestyle where, you know, they work hard and play hard. Um, but, you know, I think at the end of the day, um, you know, for for me and my practice and to in a lot of sense that it's very superficial like the lifestyle and the practice and stuff. yes like i do you know i do only elective procedures for the most part you know cash based um and i do miss the reconstructive side where you can really help someone functionally or medically because there's a gratification there where you have less pressure for instance on achieving the the cosmetic result and, and really helping someone whether it's like a skin cancer they have or they can't breathe out their nose there's a, a different kind of gratification there um yeah but otherwise you know i think you know it's not just all about botox and filler and and that you know you really should um you know especially from a consumer or a patient side you know really do your work and research it's not like this person who this surgeon has like so many instagram followers right or who showcases that they you know have this luxury house and car you know but it's it is it takes a long time to get there in terms of training and expertise you know um it's uh intricate difficult surgeries that we do and other procedures that we do um you know that there's a seriousness 
um, to I think those who other surgeons before me who've like really excelled and who, who are truly good surgeons, you know, would say that in, in terms of the, there's that mature side um, yeah. that we don't, um, you know, see as much. I do think um, also, uh, what was going to say, um, I think the stigma, there's certain stigmas associated with um, plastic surgery. So, um, and I think in a good way, there's less and less of it. I would like to assume, I think just with the prevalence of social media and with celebrities, you know, talking what they do or don't get done, um, you know, that we shouldn't judge, right? If someone wants to look better or look more balanced, more aesthetically pleasing and in a way it helps them feel good, you know, as long as they have realistic expectations, um, that, you know, shouldn't be, um, you know, made fun of, or, you know, um, ridiculed or criticized, um, you know, cause you know, we each all have our own insecurities and, and certain, and, and, you know, what we need to do to, you know, feel good and look good. Um, so I think, um, it's, you know, it's, it's good that I think those barriers are coming down a bit. And for me too, as a surgeon, um, I shouldn't judge a patient, right. For what they want to do or don't want to do, um, unless it just seems so unrealistic of what they're, um, looking for. Um, but at the same time, on the other end of the spectrum, I think the, the, the not so good about uh, avenues like social media is that by bringing plastic surgery more to light, then it, because it makes people more aware of plastic surgery, what it can do or not do, and, and having easier access is that, okay, I think um, there's definitely the easier opportunity to bully others, criticize others, right? You know, to go after others who do pursue um, forms of plastic surgery. And also, especially for younger individuals, you know, and with celebrities out there, like, then adds more pressure, I think, to our younger generations of what's considered um, aesthetically beautiful and if, you know, they should be pursuing certain procedures at all or earlier. The pressure's there. Yeah, completely. So basically, in a sense, I mean, not not good, obviously, but it's basically like a double-edged sword, basically. Uh, yes, yep. Yeah, completely. Okay, so... Could you maybe now go into some key techniques or equipment that you use, maybe not on a daily basis, but overall? Um, let's see here. So plastic surgeon, something non-surgical, it's really important is um, having a good photography setup because for us before and after is super key. It's our work, you know, it's how we convey it to patients in the office for marketing, for education. Um, so you want, you know, a great professional camera. And I'm a sticker about this too. When you're taking pictures, you always want the cons same consistent lighting, you know, background, um, consistent positions of the patient. You know, for those, like you can see on Instagram, some surgeons or other professionals will put up pictures and there's discrepancies there. And I think that takes away from actually appreciating the extent of results. Um, if we don't, you know, be able to as objectively compare photo A to photo B. Um, other equipment, um, 
that I utilized a good amount. Um, like, is this in the operating room or is this in the in the clinic? In anything, just anything that comes to mind, basically. Anything comes to mind. Yeah. Um, so a lot of other surgeons have this um, using surgical loops. It helps to see on a, a helps us to see on a magnified level, um, especially for the face. More delicate surgery, whether it's eyelid surgery, I even use it for rhinoplasty um, as well. Um, let's see here, other equipment. Whenever you do surgery, you want to have a good headlight. Um, in the office, I usually just have you know basic medical supplies. Um, when you're doing injectables, you have your syringes, your needles. I do a cannula technique. So I use a blunt um, needle called a cannula to inject the, um, the filler. Um, I think, you know, that's, um, you always want to make sure. So if you're, you do, you're a rhinoplasty surgeon, you know, you want to have like speculums, otoscopes, like just actual um, instruments that to help you inspect you know, inside the nose, um, appropriately. So, um, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. I mean, I could go into fire detail with the actual instruments I use in opera, but I think that might be a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fine. Thank you though. So could you maybe now go into a case or a certain patient that maybe left an impression on you? Um, yes, I have this one patient. I like to, um, talk about a good amount because she's i've helped to take care of her both from the cosmetic and reconstructive side she's been a really loyal patient and two i think that speaks volumes where if you have that one patient who um, you gain their trust we get a, a nice result with one procedure they come back and they want to do more which is awesome um you know with those patients um it was i think a couple decembers ago um she had come to me uh, had bothered by eyebrow drooping from Botox and we talked about her heavy upper eyelids um, and so she ended up being interested in doing upper eyelid surgery with me um, we did it in the office she did okay um, a week out later I took out her stitches um, then two days out it was like now nine days out from the original surgery this was like a late Sunday night I was about to go to bed I get a text from her asking if you know I'm around and I was also um, seven months pregnant, seven or eight months pregnant at the time. And so she lets me know that her dog accidentally jumped up and then, um, you know, basically caused some lacerations to her face. And she was waiting in the ER, um, you know, to, to see a plastic surgeon. You know, at the time and now, I only take call for my patients. So I wasn't technically on call. Um, you know, I thought about it of, oh, do I go see her? Can I wait to see her next morning? Cause sometimes you can, you know, wait a little bit of time before cleaning out the wounds. And ultimately I decided to see her, I think it was like around midnight or one at the office to take care of her. And I know too, like it was going to take a while for maybe a plastic surgeon to see her in the ER. Um, I was really glad I did that just because sometimes in real life you have to, and you're on your own, figure out like what's the best thing to do. It's not necessarily according to the textbook. Do you follow the textbook or not? And I'm glad I did it. Cause at the end of the day, like your perspective with every patient, um, you know, ideally should be, you treat them like how you would treat your mom or your aunt, right? Like you want to get them the best 
and care. And also too, like even if I could wait until the morning and it would have been fairly fine, like you worry about infection or and such, would I have slept that night? No, you know, I would, I would not, you know, have slept the rest of the night just waiting to repair those lacerations. So um, we ended up repairing the last, the last, luckily with her eyelid wound, it just opened up. There was no like tissue um, gone. Um, she had a couple other lacerations, you know, towards uh, over her nose and towards the corner of her eye. And so repaired her okay. Um, she had a couple of issues of like an eyelid ptosis where the, um, her uh, eyelid was more dropped. She had a little webbing in the corner by the corner of her eye, which can happen um, with scarring. But luckily, just with time and medical management, this is also something for me to learn too that, you know. So just a young surgeon, you're like, oh, I, I, I want to do everything possible to make sure they heal okay. Um, but sometimes you just need to learn, is it better just to observe and watch something like in the healing process or intervene? So based on the advice, you know, I just waited and watched and luckily these issues resolved. Um, and her ultimate, you know, upper eyes looked as if she never had that history of having trauma. And then another six uh let's see here nine months after her original surgery the eyelid surgery she then pursued a lower facelift and neck lift with me um and you know healed really well from there and so um yeah just really grateful for her for her trust in me and that you know we've been through a lot together and um i'm glad you know she, she's been she's done so well yeah, completely. I really enjoy listening to how basically doctors go into how they love what they do, how they directly help people. I always enjoy hearing the doctor-patient relationships like that. So thank you for sharing that. No worries. So the next question is, how do you maybe, you personally see facial plastic surgery changing in like the next 10 years or more? Um. That's a good question. So I would like to think or hope that more and more female facial plastic surgeons enter the field. Um, I'm grateful for those who broke the barriers before me, but still, it's um, still ENT facial plastic, still a male dominated field. Um, and so it's something, something to be cognizant um, of. I think with um, the non-surgical side, so whether injectables, um, skin resurfacing like various lasers and those minimally invasive procedures, you know, that can sell you result that's not, you know, that you don't have to undergo anesthesia and as much downtime as say like a neck facelift or a neck lift are still going to be pushing the boundaries that they're going to be continue to be, you know, as technology continues to develop more and more invasive procedures that um, might look, um, you know, advantageous or beneficial to patients who you know, either um, are scared about surgery and just don't want surgery at all, or feel like they just want to, you know, do something less invasive um, than surgery. So um, the other things that are, ad, you know, um, on the rise, I know something called preservation rhinoplasty has become increasingly popular. I myself didn't train in it, haven't looked mm -hmm. at it so much, but it's, it's a interesting, you know, novel technique um, that a lot of surgeons are embracing. Um, you know, I feel like 
there'll be some nuances with techniques like changes there. Um, but I do think, you know, certain bread and butter surgeries or as facelift and neck will always be there um, for those patients who definitively need it. Yeah, completely. Sounds exciting. Would you maybe say technology-wise, like maybe robotics could possibly play a role into it as well in the future? Um, not for facial plastics. I think just because it's so delicate, yeah. not like cleaning out tumors and such. Um, I know, for instance, like head and neck oncology, there's robotic there, which we're getting into deeper spaces like the back of the throat. Uh, I don't see that as, as much, especially from a cost standpoint for facial plastics. Okay. So I know you're busy and like right now, especially during the pandemic and everything. So the last question is what advice would you personally give to someone that's aspiring to become a facial plastic surgeon like yourself? Um, let's see here. I think advice in general for wanting to pursue medicine is, you know, I think if you have the passion for the field, um, for medicine in general, have um a good work ethic i think anything that's possible um i would like to hope and think that i'm a good example of that like i was in the top of my class um you know for, and then too along the way it's really important to stay balanced whether you take a gap year before you do medical school find some extra cookers on the side make sure you have a good support system because the whole journey of medicine with med school all the way through the training it's a very time consuming, you sacrifice a lot personally, um, financially, um, you know, you're always going to be putting your patients first or your family. So it's, it's not a race, it's a long journey. So it's key, um, you know, so that you can help avoid burnout. And I think too, a more well-rounded physician means that you can take better care, um, you know, of your, of your patients. Um, anything else with you know for facial plastics it is a very particular niche so you know always just make sure you're you have a passion for surgery you 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 don't like anything as much non-surgical in the field of medicine as you go through your rotations um and then too just to you know as i mentioned kind of those personal tra traits that best um suit facial plastic surgery that they you know align with you and the type of surgeries that are done um, in um, facial plastic surgery. Um, I'm someone too, as a, a, a female in facial plastic surgery, I've worked for a couple of different practices. It didn't work out. And now I have my own practice that again, I think with a little bit of, with some passion and work ethic, you know, if you, you have that, it will feel your success and don't, you know, don't let others challenge that, um, you know, or impose on that. Um, on that that vision yeah completely thank you for sharing that I'm sure that our listeners will take your advice so as i said that was the last question and i know you're very busy so thank you once again dr ho for taking time out of your very busy schedule okay to have this talk with me okay sounds good okay thanks so much for your time appreciate it yeah take care bye-bye bye, -bye. Bye.